Money FM Budget Conversations 2024 is presented by UOB. In a world that's becoming more fragmented and unpredictable, Singaporeans must stay strong and united in order to turn every challenge into opportunity and every vulnerability into strength. That was a stark reality that Deputy Prime Minister Lawrence Wong highlighted in Budget 2024, which is all about taking steps to implement plans set out in the Forward Singapore Roadmap. Measures announced include payouts to help individuals and households with cost-of-living concerns and initiatives to create more paths for equality and mobility. There are also skills future top-ups for Singaporeans aged 40 and above, as well as CPF changes to help older Singaporeans boost their retirement funds. These are just some of the many measures announced by DPM Wong. So for a deeper dive into this year's $131.4 billion budget, we're joined in the studio this morning with Alvin Liu, Senior Economist at UOB. Alvin, good morning. Thanks for being here with us. Good morning and thanks for having me. And Mark Lee, Singapore Business Federation Council member, and nominated member of parliament. He's also CEO of Singluin Holdings. Mark, welcome to The Breakfast Show. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. And to complete our panel, we welcome Professor Lawrence Lowe, Director of the Center for Governance and Sustainability at the NUS Business School. Lawrence, it's great to have you here. Yes, I'm happy to be here again. All right, welcome, guys. So, Elvin, let's start with you. Among the slew of measures announced, what's one thing that stood out the most for you in this year's budget? Well, in terms of quantum and the targeted segment, right, which actually includes me, that will be the SkillsFuture Level Up program, <laughs> that 4,000 credits. Mm. And of course, then it also comes with the allowance that was up to 50% of the last paid wage, up to 3,000 for 24 months. We knew that there was going to be an announcement, but the amount that came up was a surprise. And uh, also very targeted towards the people who are in their 40s where you are expected to experience more as we go along the journey of this economic transformation of Singapore. This segment of people are likely to see the most uh, change in terms of their employability and the changes in their roles. What about you, Mark? Let's bring you in now. As an NMP who has heard firsthand some of the parliamentary debates on local issues, what left impressions or the biggest impression on you? I think that most of us are feeling the cost of living pressure hmm. and businesses are the same. Uh, business cost pressures continue to weigh among the uh, highest issues that business owners are concerned with. So this budget, I think that it's a really uh, well-balanced and forward-looking one. I think there are some really great things in here, just like the assurance package for citizens. We have the 1.3 billion enterprise support package uh, that will benefit all of us. Um, the income tax rebate capped at 40000 and with $2,000 um, minimum in cash payout for those not paying uh, income tax, well, that basically benefits almost all businesses as well. And the um, enterprise financing scheme, which the uh, permanent uplift to 500000 will definitely help ease the cash flow situation that businesses face as well as helping them seize new opportunities. Um, another thing that I really like is that the budget really helps prepare our local companies for the future and definitely with upgrading our workforce with skills that is going to be relevant in today's fast-changing worlds. I think you can see it like what Elvin mentioned, the SkillsFuture top-up uh, as well as the extension of the $10,000 SkillsFuture Enterprise credit that would really help to support workforce and business transformation. Finally, helping companies transition to net zero. I think it's so important topic for today. Uh, sustainability and this extension of the energy efficient grant to more sectors would definitely accelerate this 
Mm. Lawrence, what are your thoughts in terms of where the government is headed? It seems like there's a large focus placed on providing support for the older millennials and the elderly. Well, if I can sum up the budget in two words, I would say it's a precision budget. I think it's very precise, it's very exacting, and I think definitely it's not goodies randomly spread across the horizon. There's a natural focus, and I think very rightly so, we are looking at the elderly, the more senior, which is actually a very vulnerable segment of society. So I think in essence, the budget really go to where it should go. All right, we're breaking down the measures announced at this year's Singapore budget with today's panel. Alvin Liu, Senior Economist at UOB, Mark Lee, Singapore Business Federation Council member and nominated member of parliament. He's also CEO of Singluin Holdings and Professor Lawrence Lowe, Director of the Center for Governance and Sustainability at the NUS Business School. So a bulk of this year's budget focuses on the social aspect, significant investment in mid-career workers this time, Singaporeans age Aged 40 and above will get a $4,000 top-up of Skills Future credits from May and subsidies to pursue another full-time diploma at Polytechniques, ITE and arts institutions from 2025. So Alvin, over to you. Are you expecting high take-up rates for this and how far might this go in sprucing up perhaps industries with new growth opportunities? So this is perhaps the part that I think works towards the employees where they uh, give them that incentive to take it up. But the coin has the other side, right, which is the employer. Mm-hmm. The employer needs to be supportive of such. So I think this might be an ongoing process. This is not just the budget and end of it. But beyond this budget, right, you may need to see some measures to incentivize employers, right, to be able to let their staff go on this trade training. Some may see it differently, a bit more, I would say that there will be companies that are more broad in their view, thinking that this is a positive for theirs. But there might be companies who are a bit more wary of this, thinking of new skills that the employee that takes up, they may easily lose that. So there needs to be some kind of incentives or even help to change this mindset. This is like you have done the employee side, providing the skills future. Now you have to look at the other side of the equation, where is the employer? Yes. Yeah, pretty much you need everyone to step up. Otherwise, this mindset won't change and mm. you won't get to where you want to go, right? <laughs> I think this is where you can also weigh in, Mark, that you know, you've actually spent a lot of the enterprise credits so much so that you are one of the role models in a sense. Yeah, I think one of our, a few of our companies have actually finished using the uh, Skills Future Enterprise Credit. And in this budget, I was actually hoping that there would be a top up. Um, I mean, in my opinion, I think that enterprises that are forward-looking, who really wants to grow, upskill their workers, they will use it to the best of their abilities. And the companies that are perhaps not looking ahead as much and not utilizing these credits, uh, we must try to encourage them to use it. But extending it, it must come with working hand-in-hand with trade associations as well to basically teach them and basically tell them what are the courses that will be relevant for their sector as well as what skills would be relevant for the future for their sector as well. Mm, talking about upgrading, on that note, Lawrence, I'm looking at some stats from an earlier study. It found that Singaporeans with a university degree or postgraduate degree earn a median salary of $4,200 monthly. That's more than double of those with an ITE qualification. So to narrow wage gaps, DPM Wong has announced a total of $15,000 in top-ups for ITE grads when they enroll in and complete a diploma program. From a social perspective, what is the assessment of how much this is going to move the needle? And can that also help with the manpower crunch? 
I think first of all, if you look at this issue in perspective, uh, there's a value-added perspective. Uh, the, the people coming from the IT route, they are probably in a band that is very skill-based and actually this is something that will be changing very fast in terms of, I would say, variation in the markets and technology. But, but beyond the economic perspective, I think uh, the more fundamental uh, pedestal that actually we need to uh, write on is actually the social dimension. And I think it's very, very good that we give explicit focus and attention on this band of people to put them on par. Uh, you know, I, I don't know whether there's market distortion or may, maybe we, we will probably need some nudges to achieve parity uh, in spite of the disparity now. So, so I think in total, uh, the, the, the move is a very good nudge for the marketplace to value the IT graduates in particular. Hmm. Speaking of reducing wage gaps and support for families, that goes in line with one particularly strong concern that the budget addressed, which is inequality. So, Mark, how complex are these social mobility issues in Singapore and does it require perhaps a larger mindset shift beyond policies, you think? So I think this is a shared responsibility. It's a fine balance between balancing empathy and endurance and building long-term resilience for the country. So, in my opinion, the uh, current 14% increase in the local qualifying salary um, from 1,400 to 1,600, as well as the increase in uh, the senior workers' CPF contribution rates that was announced for workers above 55 to 65, well, it will definitely increase business costs. But at the same time, it does help to uplift our seniors as well as the uh, lower-wage workers. Although the government has said that um, they will co-fund with the CPF transition offsets, we do know that government support will eventually end, right? And, you know, basically, employers will need to improve the productivity of their workers. But I think, why do I say that it's a, it's a shared responsibility? Because at the end of the day, if a business is competing on the lowest unit labour cost without differentiation to their service, with their products, with their efficiency, they know that long-term-wise, they will not survive. But at the same time, workers doing repetitive manual jobs without critical thinking, without analytic skills or even creativity, right? Long-term-wise, technology and robotics will definitely uh, displace them as well. So workers must want to also improve and uh, uplift themselves in new skills. At the same time, firms must want to transform, grow, give their workers a career progression. So it's mutually inclusive. But at the same time, the government must recognise that in this uh, silver tsunami economy, both the government and Singaporeans must understand that there is a place to augment and accept foreigners uh, because it becomes even more urgent and important for certain sectors and certain skills to work together with our local workforce. All right, we're in conversation with Alvin Liu. He is the senior economist at UOB. Mark Lee, Singapore Business Federation Council member and nominated member of parliament. He's also CEO of Singlun Holdings, as well as Professor Lawrence Lowe, Director of Centre for Governance and Sustainability at the NUS Business School, breaking down the latest from Budget 2024. We'll continue conversation right after this. Your voice, your thoughts, your needs. Money FM Budget Conversations 2024, presented by UOB. We'll continue the conversation on Budget 2024. And Alvin, this is a question for you. you know, you're watching how the numbers come together. We're looking at the government setting aside about $3.5 billion over the next decade to help seniors age well. How big a part of the equation is retirement adequacy? And what effects might that have on our economy moving forward? 
I think the reality is we are a growing society and the amount of population right mm-hmm. entering that segment right is going to be increasing. And on the other spectrum, of course, we know that our fertility is one of the lowest in the world. <laughs> yes, and uh, we are not shrinking in terms of obviously because we have migration policies that help to alleviate that problem. But by and large, right, this trend is not changing anytime soon. So we have to make sure that there would be needs that need to be fulfilled on the retirement segment of population increases. When you look at the budget itself, this is very much in preparation for that inevitable uh, number where we are reaching. But uh, at the same time, I believe that we also need to be concerned with other metrics to help us as economy itself. I think Mark talked about how the two sides will benefit from it. But then at the end of it, we need to be improving on productivity and to support. In a way, I look at it, the whole whole picture, right? It brings us to where we are, that we are able to support our elderly, our retirement needs, but at the same time, right, bring our economy right to that. A lot of the measures to keep the companies competitive, the top up to the research, innovation and enterprise. We had the refundable investment credit whereby we could not compete with people in the developed world right, where they are throwing in subsidies. right. But this helps us to maintain a certain competitive edge. And this was also part in conjunction with a lot of the businesses who I think did the recommendation itself, which I think the government took up and that was the good thing. I mean, the government listens. All right, Lawrence, let's bring you in now. Do you think this budget adequately addresses the support needed for seniors? Yes, I think definitely. I think uh, if anything, it's a very firm, uh, continued steps uh, towards catering uh, to the precise needs of this uh, very uh, sensitive group right now because demographically, more and more people are getting older and older and we cannot afford to have a large segment of society being stuck in this uh, band. So I, I think whatever help, whatever little, I think now is actually quite adequate. We'll actually uh, try to alleviate some of the uh, concerns or even fears that this group will have because mortality age is now getting longer and people tend to want to... Uh, have a better quality of life even if they age gracefully. All right, so we've been talking about the key initiatives announced at this year's Singapore budget with Alvin Liu, Senior Economist at UOB, Mark Lee, Singapore Business Federation Council member and nominated member of parliament. He's also CEO of Sing Luen Holdings and Professor Lawrence Lowe, Director of the Center for Governance and Sustainability at the NUS Business School. And we'll be back for more analysis later on on our show. Keep it here on Money FM 89.3. Your voice, your thoughts, your needs. Money FM Budget Conversations 2024, presented by UOB. Thanks for staying with us. In his budget speech, Deputy Prime Minister Lawrence Wong set out the context for his fiscal proposal, noting that the past had not been easy with a troubled international environment, subdued global economy and modest economic growth for Singapore. For more analysis, we continue our conversation with our panel, Alvin Liu, Senior Economist at UOB, Mark Lee, Singapore Business Federation Council Member and nominated Member of Parliament. He's also CEO of Singluin Holdings and Professor Lawrence Lowe, Director of the Center for Governance and Sustainability at the NUS Business School. Welcome back, gentlemen. All right, let's start with Alvin and look at the numbers where we've got Singapore's fiscal deficit position for FY2023 coming in at $3.6 billion. That widens sharply from the earlier estimate of 
$0.4 billion, partly due to the $7.5 billion modular package announced at last year's National Day Rally. How disciplined would you describe this year's budget as? And how much wiggle room does the government have going forward? Okay, first off, uh, when we look at that, uh, the deficit that was bigger than uh, expected last year, right? Yeah, you were right that it was this $7.5 billion that was set aside for modular package. Uh, it's quite surprised that it was going to park under the endowments and top-ups in last year's uh, rather than put, put it in this year. But uh, if you look at it, generally speaking, going forward, in terms of wiggle room itself, if we look at what had taken place in terms of the, the revenue that exceeded expectations, there was corporate, I think corporate income tax came in stronger. And this year, right, because growth here this year is likely to be a bit, um, there is a bit of a weaker room there, 1% to 3%. We are expecting growth after maybe a slower start in the first half to be stronger in the second half. And if growth turns out to be closer to the 3% range, right, then that would also mean there will be a bit more upside perhaps on the corporate tax revenue side. And that gives them more weaker room. The other angle is, of course, when we look at last year's, the revenue streams, right, GSC revenue came in a bit below what was budgeted. But this year itself, of course, we know that we have this additional 1%, then um, we have to see again whether the projections will turn out in line or we get another under-delivery in that revenue stream again. But those those are the things that I see that probably will provide that weaker room or maybe that the in GST revenue case, perhaps a bit of a question mark there. All right, let's turn our attention to yet another bold budget set aside for the environment. Now, DPM Wong alluded to the enormity of the task at hand as he unveiled a new future energy fund that will see an initial injection of 5 billion Singapore dollars to help Singapore transition to cleaner fuels. So, Lawrence, let's bring you in now. Among the key renewable options, what's realistic given our geographical disadvantage? And where are we in terms of scaling up these alternatives? I think first of all, if we look at energy in the Singapore situation, it really cuts both ways. There are two sides of the same coin. On the one hand, it's actually a springboard, a catalyst for new opportunities, new jobs. It's the bedrock of the green economy where there's, uh, for example, in the transition towards renewable, uh, we, we actually create uh, more options for people. So, so the Future Energy Fund is actually meant to galvanize you know, our, our transition. Uh, at the same time bring the benefits economically. But on the other hand, if you look at the other side, Singapore face a fundamental constraint. So, so this is the bottleneck perspective. Uh, I think we, without doubt, we know Singapore is uh, hot and humid. We need air conditioning. I mean, it's totally not feasible to work or even commute. Uh, sometimes in the open air, uh, life is a sweat here. So, you know, we, we, with this situation, I think we, we need to be able to calibrate ourselves there's, there's no escaping from the fact that we will need certain energy intensity to uh, have a good quality of life. So, so I think balancing these two, I, I think uh, it really puts the, our future directions in uh, energy management squarely into the sustenance of the country itself. Now, Lawrence, I think balance is a key word here. And I think for businesses, they will have to figure out how to balance the bottom line and, of course, what is the green agenda. Mark, when you talk about how to become more sustainable, what are some of the pain points faced by businesses on this front, especially since when you talk about returns, it's not exactly immediate. Sometimes you don't see it. Sometimes it's not tangible. 
Yeah, I think that's a good point, uh, Ryan. I think within the uh, Singapore Business Federation uh, National Business Survey that was conducted, uh, we do see that companies actually recognise the importance of sustainability. But the two key challenges that they really face uh, when we looked at the survey in their green transition is that first, they don't know where to start. And second, the high cost of equipment and licensing. So very timely, uh, the current budget addresses this point in terms of enterprise financing scheme where you have green loans to support equipment as well as the extension of the uh, energy efficient grant to new sectors of manufacturing, construction, maritime and data centres. I think this will help uh, companies to accelerate their green transition plans. But at the same time, understanding that companies are not, you know, even though they have a plug and play kind of solution, uh, they also need to view the entire green transition holistically. And you really need to have someone to help them and handhold them to understand that it's not just solutions, but also expertise focusing on what is going to be urgent and important uh, instead of going all over the place, just buying things up and not understanding an overall strategy in your green transition. So, in my opinion, I think that it will be important uh, for the government to actually have assistance like sustainability as a service that trade associations can actually help very sectoral basis for companies on that level. So, this will help SMEs to transition uh, better and faster and ensure that they will not be greened out as well. Yeah, I'm wondering as well, how do you motivate the right behaviour, right? Between carrots and sticks, what type of motivation and incentives perhaps need to be in place to create some synergy between the public and private sectors? And then, of course, you wear many hats. You're not just a council member at SPF. You're mm-hmm. also running Singlun Holdings where you're CEO. So, how does it all come together? How do you get the buy-in from your own staff? Well, I think that one strong incentive uh, currently is the uh, what was announced in budget for the Partnerships for Capability Transformation, uh, or PAC, whereby um, you're basically encouraging larger companies uh, to help smaller companies to, to work together in their supply chain, right? And help them to, to, to basically get on the green transition. Uh, it's a strong incentive, but because it's about doing more business, right? As long as you can do more business, you have an incentive to do so. I think the second part is how can we encourage national initiatives such as procurement uh, national procurement government procurements to include a criteria for for green uh, for companies in order for them to be rated more highly in the procurement so again if you do more business you have a reason to do more business i'm sure this will help accelerate the green transition we're breaking down the measures announced at this year's Singapore budget with Alvin Liu, senior economist at UOB, Mark Lee, Singapore Business Federation Council member and nominated member of parliament. He's also CEO of Singluin Holdings and Professor Lawrence Lowe, director of the Center for Governance and Sustainability at the NUS Business School. So moving on to talk about businesses now, 1.3 billion Singapore dollars will be pumped in to help firms manage costs through the Enterprise Support Package, which comprises a corporate income tax rebate, enhancements to the Enterprise Financing Scheme, and an extension of the Skills Future Enterprise Credit to June 2025. So, Mark, let's bring you in. How far do the measures go in targeting the key pressures that you've been hearing from businesses, especially the SMEs? So, I would just uh, summarize three uh, key pressures that businesses are actually facing. I think the first, money not enough, right? 
uh, very Singaporean, but it's always there. Uh, and I think that the budget in terms of the $1.3 enterprise support package, the income tax rebate, as well as the enhancement to the enterprise financing scheme addresses these, this point of money not enough. Um, but can we go a little further? Perhaps I think that I see little in the budget this year to support uh, businesses' internationalization efforts. I think that in these uncertain times where there's greater economic fragmentation, perhaps we can help our SMEs secure more overseas business opportunities. This means that the market readiness assistance grant, we hope that we can see some increase with greater flexibilities as well as uh, offering perhaps an Exim Bank and Export-Import Bank-like structure to offer financing with higher risk sharing from the government to help enterprises explore new markets. So that's money not enough. I think the second one would be opportunities not enough. Does this this uh, budget actually address that? Well, I think that what Alvin mentioned, right, the uh, Research Innovation Enterprise or RIE 2025, whereby 1 billion is going to be catalyzed into AI activities under the National AI Strategy, as well as the government's efforts to basically upgrade the, the entire broadband network and also PAC, which I mentioned. These are great opportunities for us, but I feel that government agencies must make the extra effort to, act, to involve SMEs. Uh, we do not want a situation that Singapore will end up um, with uh, two types of companies, one which is highly innovative, big companies, and a technology backwater of um, smaller local companies as well. And finally, you know, I think using PAC right, uh, whereby you have 14,000 European firms anchored here. And now uh, with the expansion of the uh, European Union CSRD reporting, they will give a lot of opportunities for us to really use this to help SMEs take on new opportunities. So that addresses the uh, opportunities not enough. But I think the final thing that most businesses are worried about is people not enough. I would sum it two ways. One is productivity in people. I think skills future, enterprise credit, as well as the top-ups, uh, the level-up programs, uh, this will definitely help to uh, improve uh, productivity. Um, but can we actually include more workplace training to be given the same recognition for employers to be better supported, right? Um, this is one part that we feel that uh, we can enhance productivity through more workplace training. And people not enough, I think it's a gentle reminder that we must continue to augment our local workforce with a foreign workforce and really relook at policies to optimise the foreign workforce here by maybe allowing cross-deployment or filling jobs and skills that have serious shortages. So addressing these three points, I feel, would be uh, uh, what the budget has done well. But there are certain, of course, points that we can always hope for. People not enough, opportunities not enough, money not enough. Sounds like the title for another sequel. <laughs> All right, let's bring it in. Talk about money, Alvin. Beyond more financial aid for lower wage workers, the government is also working out a new temporary financial support scheme to help retrench workers while they undergo training or look for another job. What must be accounted for when designing this scheme to prevent a case where people might find it more attractive to remain unemployed? Yes, uh, you precisely brought a point why the details need to be worked out because if it serves as a encouragement, it's fine as a form of support while they look for their next employment, but it becomes ingrained that it does not make sense for the recipient right to find a new job, right? Then that will have defeated the purpose and that will have created a welfare expenditure that will become a sinkhole for the government. And I mean, just a uh, side of how to set it up, we have 
a lot of examples globally in uh, many countries that have it and we will look at those as examples and uh, perhaps a point not so direct. With the details not confirmed, right, you probably may see a point that this could become an electoral issue. Yeah, something that they can put forth on the ballot. Uh, I think to be fair, this is a big. This is going to be a big issue because first off, we have avoided being a welfare state for the longer, and I don't think we are going that route. But certainly, looking in this measure itself, right, certainly looks like a welfare benefit. There's also been a huge emphasis on moving away from that paper chase as part of the Singapore dream. So what are the immediate next steps when it comes to mindset shifts before that can happen? That's to you, Lawrence. Yes, I come from a sector education, which is often uh, associated with paper chase. And I think in this sector, sometimes education not enough. So, <laughs> but, but I think, you know, if you frame the Singapore dream, uh, I think we should actually not look at it in terms of a paper change. We actually review it, uh, we recast it as a resilience pursuit, mm. not paper chase. Uh, in other words, going forward, we should not be qualification-based, but actually moving into capability-based, skills-based, mindset-based. So, so I think in, in terms of the Singapore dream, we should not view as the issue as an end point, but actually a journey. Education should not be viewed as a finishing school, but actually as a life school. All right, let's bring you guys in to talk about how you see this year's budget because we've seen a lot of measures. So taking the budget in totality, $40 billion by the end of the decade to strengthen our social safety net. So Mark, does the generous cost of living handout signal that an election is near? <laughs> well, I think that's a question above my pay grade. <laughs> definitely, I see it as a forward Singapore budget uh, rather than election budget. That's really my own opinion. All right, and same question to you, Alvin. I like to align myself with my fellow panelists. <laughs> this is more on the, uh, a lot of the measures on the forward Singapore uh, is reflected here. But like uh, earlier point, I talk about uh, we talked about on the involuntary unemployment benefits with the details still not confirmed, right? That mm. could easily be put in as a, one of the on the electoral mandate as a part of the process itself. Okay, and finally to you, Lawrence, are we headed to the voting booths or? I think budget or no budget, the election is nearer mm. every single day. <laughs> uh, I think the budget is actually not static or cast in stone. I think with this budget, really, all options are on the table this year or the next. In fact, I think in this budget, just to sum up, I think money is definitely enough, particularly so at Money FM. <laughs> well said. Well said. Well, we've been speaking with Alvin Liu, Senior Economist at UOB, Mark Lee, Singapore Business Federation Council member and nominated member of Parliament. He's also CEO of Sing. Holdings and Professor Lawrence Lowe, Director of the Center for Governance and Sustainability at the NUS Business School. Gentlemen, thanks for helping us break down the budget from beginning to end. Thank you. Thank you. You're listening to Money FM 89.3. Money FM Budget Conversations 2024, presented by UOB. UOB, building the future of ASEAN.